Welcome to The Uplift, where we are uplifting our lives, uplifting each other, and uplifting our communities together. Thank you for joining myself, Sai Herrera, and Tessa Savala here, two women, two attorneys, doing it our way, and inviting you here each week to share in on the stories, advice, and life lessons we've picked up along our journeys that keep us uplifted, and that will hopefully do the very same thing for you. Now buckle in and let's get ready to be uplifted. Good morning. Hello, everyone. I am Tessa, as always, and today I'm a little uh, overly caffeinated, but it's going to be great. <laughs> Excuse me. And, uh, woo. <coughs> woo. Excuse me. And as always, I'm joined by the lovely and accomplished and amazing side. Hello, hello, everyone. Hi, Tessa. We love you fully caffeinated and ready to go. <laughs> Excuse me. Thanks. I'm hoping this works out great. <laughs> so this week, I have been thinking about criticism and like, mm. how do we help people uplift from it? Because we all get it. <laughs> Excuse me. It's um, sometimes it's really well delivered and it's optimistic. And it's full of potential. And sometimes it just sucks, right? Like it is a place of reaction and a place of, I don't know, I guess it's a place of more about the person offering the criticism than mm. the person who has done something, right? Like in my social media feed in the last week was this statement that, when a parent criticizes their kid, the kid doesn't stop loving the parent. The kid stops loving themselves. And I was like, mm. oh, true. Oh, trauma. And mm -hmm. wow, we need to do something about that. Because it's not just in that parent-kid relationship. It's like with your community and it's with your bosses and it's with your friends. Like criticism can really mess people up. Oh, yeah. I yeah. I think from both the giver and the receiver standpoint. Yep. And it's like, all I can think after, you know, trying to pull back and see what the big picture is. The only thing that resonated in my head was this like childhood rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a big lie because <laughs> they do. Exactly. And they probably hurt worse than a sticker stone, honestly. Right? <laughs> Which, like, they're going to last a lot longer in those, those injuries. <laughs> yeah. I like, I don't, there's not enough time in the world to figure out how we got here, but we got to figure out how do we get ourselves out of it? How do we deal with it better? How do we just like, how, how do, do we, we move heal? forward? Yes. Mm -hmm. And we heal those like, wounds. I kind of feel like we're all kind of like homes on home improvement shows. And mm. some shows talk about how the house can be improved and has all this potential. And sometimes you see people who are just <laughs> like, yeah, this house isn't going to work for me. There's so many limits. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And maybe that's what it is. Or maybe it's what words that you use often, I think, are amazing. It's that we're not coming from a mindset of abundance. Mm. 
mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. are we seeing the potential in our kids, in our community, mm. in our politicians, in our constituents, in our employees? It's like yeah. a nasty little vicious cycle. Well, yeah, and when people do criticize it, it could often be they're just coming from that 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 place of scarcity. They're they're passing on a limited mindset, right? And they're really usually afraid I mean frankly and and it makes sense to me because it's like if somebody's coming from a place where they have not you know found liberation enlightenment freedom um expansive you know mindset then uh, I mean the only advice they can give you is is what they know what their experience is and what their mindset (laughs) is I mean I just as you were speaking and talking about people criticizing it made me think about how whenever somebody gives advice, anybody, including us, we are, they are, all of us are basically saying what we would do. This is what we would do. This is what Mm -hmm. we think of that. This is how we would handle that situation, right? Because where else would you be able to operate from except from your own perspective and your own vantage point in in your life experience? So that's like all their trauma like mm-hmm. here you go let me just put it all out there <laughs> put it on youtube Fantastic. yeah and it's strange it's such a it's such an interesting topic because you know the sad thing is that people actually are trying to help <laughs> i think okay. usually I, I, I like to think so too well and there's two things i want to recognize too like when people are criticizing other people i think there are definitely two different things at least if not more and one type of criticism is really like coming from a place of I guess advice or like somebody who actually you know is concerned for you and wants the best for you and is actually trying to give you their best advice and then there's another type of criticism which is literally just a tool of abuse right it's a a thing that people use in order to control and have power over other people and that kind of criticism is extremely malicious and and the the sad thing is that both of them are very harmful or they can be very harmful uh but the latter you know is intended to be harmful that's the whole purpose <laughs> and um and and i think that we we would be served by knowing um and being able to identify the difference as much as possible and as quick as possible yeah and i was just thinking you know i know i've received criticism that even if it came from the best of places mm-hmm. the word choices were either mm. generation generationally way off base mm-hmm. or not great and so they're <laughs> great so problematic <laughs> yes and so they're off their their good efforts get like mm-hmm. smited because of yeah. bad word choices right like oh, yeah i'm just thinking of you know i have a tendency to say to people who I've worked with, well, uh, when you have a chance, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Or I need to talk to you. And apparently, you know, I didn't get that uh, memo that that means bad stuff was going to happen when you mm. say, I need to talk to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, mean, I know that I know that people that say that in relationships I've seen it in sitcoms where they're like uh-oh <laughs> yeah, we need to talk I know that one from relationships <laughs> yeah and I'm just like mm, well how else are that's... you okay so let's let's workshop this what else are you supposed yeah. to say because <laughs> I'm with you I'm like uh that's bad okay what else do we say 
And I'm like, if you've been around me, I'm a very literal person. So if I say we need to talk, it means we need to talk. Well, one thing that I've tried to do is include people in things instead of saying, like, this is happening. I I guess I've just tried to, like, I've been trying to come from a place of, like, consent-based everything. So I'll say, like, um, oh, should we put that on the calendar to have a meeting about it or something like that? Like, so I ask them. Oh, I love that. Mm Consent-based. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise it's hard being a boss where people think you're bossing them around all the time. Anyways. (laughs) Right? When it should be more about guiding them to find their potential. Whatever that might be. Like, I was listening to somebody who has a retail shop and was complaining to me about an employee who is not great with time management, so doesn't Mm -hmm. show up timely. And I'm not talking like 15 minutes late. Like, this person tends to, they tell me, tends to be like hour, two hours late. And I'm like, oh, no. And they want to fire them. And I, I get that, you know, they were hired for a job that was supposed to be there on time. I'm like, mm-hmm. but is it that this person is actually just a creative mind and mm-hmm. maybe he's he's going to be the best person to make advertising signs and within your store mm-hmm. or figure out displays in a way that are more open for customers? Yeah. Like Yeah. Finding people's superpowers, that is a superpower yeah. in itself. Like, just, just seeing people for who they really are and what value they offer, absolutely. And, you know, when it comes to kids, I had a friend tell me that their daughter was going to be ejected from the childcare centers where they were, mm. were spending their mornings because the kid is too independent. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, like, and... What? and is that a bad thing though? Right. <laughs> my friend t- my friend tells me that the child care center put it to her like this. Well, it's a really it's going to serve the kid well when the kid becomes an adult, but right now that's not really what we encourage. And I'm just like, huh. Oh, this is not computing in my head. <laughs> not and this computing. Was a, so you're preparing them was, to be preschoolers for the rest of their lives? I don't understand. Apparently. <laughs> and you know, this was in Austin, Texas where we nice. all like to think we have we like, love to think of above. ourselves yes uh, we love our image of ourselves <laughs> we do we're we in love with that delusion we call that delusion <laughs> i appreciate that we have an image of ourselves that makes us better than we actually are For because sure. it shows that we can strive to the potential but still i'm like yeah huh so kids wow. should be independent at this preschool wow. but i mean the kid is like three. I'm assuming they can like stick in his head, in their head now. Mm-hmm. And That's I'm like, just so interesting. What if the kid overhears it? Yeah. No. Yeah, and then they're taught like independence is not good, if they know what that word means. Right. But I mean, <laughs> it's just it's just so interesting. I mean, even just being, I mean, it feels like rejection. I, everybody knows what that feels like, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, that's the other thing is, is we're not really talking about is when people criticize you, it's not just a critique. You know, that word criticism is actually like, it, it, it's triggering in a way, like it hits hard because criticism is very different than like a critique or, you know, what's it called? Constructive feedback or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like people have these different types of giving feedback and and we have to because a criticism is really about you it's about who you are as a person and it's about saying something about you is not good and that is always hurtful it's always harmful um Mm -hmm. and I think that actually I don't know that we need 
criticism. I don't know that we need literal criticism in our society because, you know, there's so many other ways for us to talk to one another and help guide one another to the right place or help inspire one another to good places or better places or, or thriving places. But a criticism is just telling somebody, I don't like the way you are. And I don't know that that's good yeah. in any way or in any context. <laughs> Would you push I, back on that? <laughs> I completely agree. And it made me okay. think about, remember, maybe like five, ten years ago, what it was like really popular to have brutal honesty all the time. Mm, brutal like, honesty. Mm, no. Yes. That's just an excuse to be mean and nasty. Yeah. yeah, and to have zero like consideration for the other person's feelings, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And because put your feelings entirely first, put your like impetus and your complete like lack of control of wanting to just say whatever's on your mind <laughs> without yeah. considering the other person at all or the context or the situation or anything. I mean, just literally like I want to say this because it feels good to me. <laughs> yeah, that is so problematic, and I am so thankful that it's I think declined in use because yeah. I don't. I don't know if the truth is necessarily important all the time. People don't care about the truth. That's the that's a bad progression. <laughs> yeah. I kind of think it's like it's like law school where you learn that the truth doesn't actually exist. Exactly. It's everybody's perception of an event exactly. that exists. Yes, exactly. And then also you learn about whoever has the power makes the rules. But anyways, um <laughs> <laughs> which, which I guess is kind of what we're talking about, right? Because it seems like most of the time criticism mm. or mm-hmm. these kind of negative comments come from the person who is in power yeah right that's a power like dynamic, whether it's the parents mm-hmm. or the community leaders or the bosses mm-hmm. or even in a friend setting there's always one who's kind of like the dominant personality and mm. that's a form of power too i think well that's so interesting when you're saying that it made me rethink what I just said in regards to criticism always being bad because it is it feels like it's always bad when it's somebody with power you know just criticizing somebody with less power um but what about the other way around what about when you know society is criticizing societal structures and you know and and you know big ugly things that 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 oppress people I mean is that still bad (sighs) That is so fascinating and something we need to dig into. I had this conversation about that topic earlier this week. Someone said to me, and this person is very conservative, I don't like when the message is white people are racist. I'm like, mm. who's saying that? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I realized that they think that anytime there's a discussion about systemic racism, that oh, means Lord. all white yes. people are bad. I'm like, yes. and it's I real. Just, this is real happening right now. This is real. Is. <laughs> and like, I didn't, and I flatly said after like listening to this for, you know, more than a fair share of minutes, I understand this is how it is perceived by you, but I'm going to say as somebody who also like understands that this dialogue is occurring, I don't get it because mm-hmm. nobody is saying you mm-hmm. who has doesn't who does not appear to be a racist are mm-hmm. racist at heart yeah I, it's it's really interesting because I mean I've been involved with a lot of this 
you know, anti-racism work. Um, and it's, it's really fascinating. I mean, this is not something so that anybody was doing, you know, when I was growing up, I mean, it was just like, people were just, I mean, really like starting to question their own racism, but that was it. And that, right. um, and now it's like, people have these like it's very fascinating like these very like structured ways of of trying to dismantle racism and trying to um you know develop anti-racism um as as a as a process and as a as a practice and it's really fascinating because of I mean just thinking well first of all I feel like maybe it's new maybe it's not new but for me it's new and um it's interesting to see you know the choices that people have made to do it and the way that people react to those choices. And so, and, yeah. and I'm not saying that they're the, you know, at all like least effective or most effective or the right or wrong choices. I'm just in observance of it all and very fascinated by it all. Because for me, going into the existing, you know, structures and, and processes that people are employing for anti-racism work, I, I dig it. I mean, I, I have, I've definitely like benefited from it and it has changed my mindset in a way where I'm like, okay, I just think about things a little bit differently and it helps me be a stronger, you know, advocate in this space and, and more effective, frankly. Right. And I just, yeah. I, I'm, but I'm not a white person. So I, I, you know, I, I just don't pretend that I can even relate to what it would feel like to be a white person in those spaces. But when I see white people squirm, <laughs> it's just really interesting to me because when I hear these words, when I hear these, you know, these leaded discussions or led discussions, um, they feel to me like they're inviting people to right. join in this anti-racism work and all people, like not just people of color, like especially white people. I mean, the language yeah. for me feels like, please come join us and like, let's do this work together. And I just find it really fascinating that people you know, take offense to it. Truly. I truly, truly do. The other day I was, um, uh, representing Contigo Wellness, a local nonprofit organization devout on decolonizing and, 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 and bringing more access for mental health in communities of color here in Austin, Texas. And, um, and, and some of our, you know, language on our stuff talks about decolonizing work and, and things like that. And, and when we talk about decolonizing, we're actually talking about decolonizing our minds, <laughs> is my opinion of it all, because we as, uh, especially as, um, you know, people of indigenous heritage, um, we have suffered mentally because of, of colonization. And I cannot tell you, like, I, I was, I was like low key terrified um, because I had no idea what was about to happen. I feel like I was in one of those like Karen videos. <laughs> this <sighs> woman walked up to me and read this, like literally was just like, what is this? Like that kind of tone. And she was walking up to me with children in a stroller. So I like, you know, I wasn't thinking anything of it. And she just like picked up a little card and was like, what is this? And I was like, oh, so this is who we are. Like just started explaining who we are. And she was like decolonizing how dare you? And like, she was like, do you know my family, this and that we built this and we built that. And I was just like, okay, well, that's not really related. <laughs> and I, before I could even say anything more, she just like threw the card at me and like stormed off. And I was like, what just happened? I don't really know. It was just so amazing to me because I'm like, I, 
have never like I don't know I've never like not it's not even a conversation it's just offensive (laughs) to people and 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 it just it blows my mind because I'm like I, I think what's happening truly is that there's a fundamental understanding or misunderstanding rather there's a fundamental misunderstanding mm-hmm. of where people are coming for, from it has to be because I know that all of the people doing this kind of work are coming from a genuinely you know incredible space of wanting people to all people to be treated well and decently and with dignity and that's it and so for me I'm like how can that ever be bad but something has happened where I think my theory is that people who feel that way are being told things about these efforts and have, I think, have not actually been involved in the efforts to know enough about them to know that they are actually coming from a good place. I think that somebody is demonizing all of this work um, to the point where before people, it's like prejudice, again, before Mm -hmm. people even interact with it they think that they're bad. They think that it is bad. They think that anyone trying to do it is bad and that they're doing something bad to them. That's, that's my only guess because this is an incredible phenomenon that's happening in my mind. I'm just like, what is happening? I am a sorry that you experienced that. B, I have come to wonder whether or not it is the individual's fear that they Mm -hmm. are like that. Oh yeah. And they don't want to confront it for sure. Right. It's an uncomfortable for, conversation, yeah. For full disclosure to everyone, I am a white person who is <laughs> blonde and blue-eyed, like the whitest of the white people out there. <laughs> and granted, I'm Swedish, so I probably come from a different mindset, but it is completely fascinating to me, too, because I don't mm-hmm. understand this almost immediate reaction uh-huh. that it is something horrible Mm. and maybe that is you know a a lot of criticism out there right now like we are going to assume it's the worst possible scenario right right and And I mean and that's ignorance right like it's it's, oh yeah it's like literally what we're trying to fight against (laughs) (laughs) ironically (laughs) ignorance and prejudice and all of the things stereotyping you know that's literally what we're trying to fight against and, you know, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm just going to like the way that I see this country, especially is I really think one of our biggest problems is that segregation never stopped. I just don't, I oh, don't, yeah. I don't see that ever had, you know, it never really resolved. Um, we had all these integrative efforts and some things, you know, integration was forced in a lot of instances and ways. And, and I think it had to be. Um, and, and in those places where integration happened, you see, I think overall, I mean, these are generalizations, obviously, but I mean, you see, you know, you see a difference, <laughs> at least from where we were. Um, people are generally more accepting, like people are are mixing in social groups and things like that, racially mixing. Um, but I, I, I really believe like our neighborhoods are extreme. I mean, we're in Austin, Texas. We know that there's a whole history of segregation in Austin way beyond you know, when segregation was supposed to have stopped um, in schools and things like that legally. Uh, but, but I mean, we have a very, very strong history of segregation in Austin, and it's still happening. Um, you know, we still have people being separated out and pushed out 
um, in different spaces um, and, and a concentration of, of one race in, in, in one place and, and other places. And so, and, and that's not unique, unfortunately. Like I've, I've lived in different cities where, you know, everyone kind of actually has their story. It's really creepy, to be honest. It's, it's really like, it, it's very disturbing that everyone can point to this time in their history, basically, where, oh yeah, this is where we had like an overt decision that that basically kept us segregated and then and then it just compounds over time and and this is how it was reinforced more recently like it's a different specific story in each city but it's actually not that different they're very similar and so um i hope that that's not the case in every city <laughs> it's just in my experience <laughs> i know that it's not just one city it's, it's definitely multiple cities and so my whole point is that um it it it, it it has to be a place of ignorance because it's not real. It's not real. This is not what people actually are criticizing. They're not saying everyone is racist. They're saying that we have racist systems that we should dismantle together. That's let's do it together, you know? And so how do we, how do we, how do we get past the fear that is put between us to actually, you know, get to know each other. I feel like that is always, always the challenge, actually, when it comes to racism, when it comes to ignorance, when it comes to bigotry. It's like, we literally would rather be far away enemies than to be close up acquaintances, you know, (laughs) we'd rather keep each other far away. And it's, I think, even more complicated in Texas, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, the majority of our population is Latino. Whoop, whoop. (laughs) yeah and you know my husband is latino and native mexican from what is actually texas most of his family for a long time was mexico and it's so complicated in texas when yeah the native and indigenous people who were here before it was a state are Mm -hmm. no longer the people who hold as many positions of power or mm. are community leaders or, or not visible. Can, yes, that's where it's going. The erasure. Basic respect yeah. and, mm-hmm. and just actually acknowledgement. And it is so bizarre to me. I remember looking for a house in Austin, you know, back when it was easy to buy, easier to buy a house. Mm-hmm. And I said to the white realtor, I did not want a white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And my proud husband was you. like, I don't, I, I, that's not important to me. And I'm like, well, it's important to me because I'm going to hyperventilate if everybody looks like me. <laughs> and <laughs> so my husband and I had driven through some like, you know, always more affordable in the suburbs. So I was like, okay, let's go explore it. Don't like the idea, but let's do it. I had a literal panic attack in the mm. car when I saw the people walking around. I'm like, nope, nope, mm. this is not going to happen. Yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm, we are so happy in our minority led neighborhood that is so diverse that it just makes me happy every single day. Yeah. And, and how do you and I'd say that? I don't know. I mean, I feel like, I feel like so many people would be happy if they knew it. And the people who are not doing that, I, I feel like it, it really seems like it's come from this place of fear the whole time. 
Like, even if you go back and think about all the laws, you know, I mean, it's always been based in fear and it goes back, of course, to the hostile takeover, really. I mean, I don't know how else to say it, but it's like, you know, we took over black bodies and brown bodies and and land and, and, and then, you know, as colonizers, we, we decided that, you know, if, if people got freedom that, that we took away, that they would be very angry and that they would probably, you know, be, be violence. And I mean, I think that that fear kind of goes on and I'm just naming it because I, I mean, I literally don't know where else the fear comes from because otherwise it feels irrational to me. You know, it feels like we are, are, are in a place where (laughs) we've shown that, you know, violence is not what people are seeking people are just seeking equality equity they're just seeking decency dignity um just yeah, just, American you know, dream, a good a life. life like literally yeah just a good life I mean and that's what everybody wants and so I feel like the fear for me is it seems just very irrational but I think we have to recognize it and see the humanity in people who are feeling that fear and yeah. say, what can we do to alleviate that fear? And, and and frankly, I will just say, I don't know, because I'm looking at these anti-racist efforts and I'm saying, I, I'm just observing. I'm not, I'm not giving criticism to our point and discussion of criticism. I'm trying to offer what I see. And my observations are that people are highly offended and fearful and um, upset and, and turned off and disengaging um with what what we currently have and i don't know that i don't really think that it's at all the fault of the people doing the work i think it's really the fault of the people who are framing the work in this negative light before mm-hmm. they even give people a chance to 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 experience it for themselves right so that they don't even have to look at it I, it reminds me of the show i watched the other day where there was a protest going on in front of a museum and the museum was showing like a very interesting display of like you know all of these different uh, figures but it was like controversial because they were using religious figures and all kinds of stuff and the person was you know protesting and and the curator came up and was like um you know they, they asked the curator to, to vote against this or to petition against it and they were like um you know why are you protesting this and they're like because it's vulgar and it's terrible and all of this good stuff and they're like well have you seen it did you see the exhibit? And they were like, <laughs> no, but I don't feel like I need to, you know, and I know that this oh. is a show, but I, 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 it, it struck me so hard because I'm like, this is literally what's happening every day in our country. People don't feel like they need to experience things to have an opinion about them, a strong opinion about them. And for me, the first rule if, of criticism is if you are going to be a critic, you need to make sure that you earn the right to criticize somebody else. (laughs) And really it should be invited, you know, like it should literally be somebody's requesting your feedback. It should never be unsolicited to begin with. But I mean, literally, like, I, I just don't think that we take that responsibility seriously enough. You know, we're in an age where people, (laughs) you know, right now, I think Instagram just started like a Twitter like situation. Um, And, uh, and, and it just made me think like, I've been going back and forth, like, do I even want to begin on this? But um, the reason is because I, I I really think things like that, you know, social media um, outlets, specific ones, um, and, and lots of other spaces online, especially with the dehumanization factor of online presence and online interaction. um, 
it really encourages people to have strong opinions, right? Strong opinions, controversial opinions. Those are the ones that get eyeballs, right? Those are the ones that get clicks and likes and shares. Mm-hmm. And, and it, there's no encouragement for it to be well-founded, well-researched, well-thought-out, well-supported. It's literally just like a free-for-all of like who can be most outrageous in their thoughts and opinions with the, I mean, with maybe no information, little to no information or experience. And that's what really terrifies me is that people at this point in time, you know, they're being incentivized to be ignorant. That's, that's what I believe. And it's, it's just unfortunate. And not only that, I also feel for people because there's no way, no way for any of us to take in all of the information about all of the things. There's no way. And so we're bombarded. It's impossible. And we're bombarded with all of this, all of these topics, all of these issues, you know, and in my humble, (laughs) and I'm, I'm humbling myself (laughs) because I think everyone should have uh, their own opinion for themselves. But for, for, I should just say my, my, my theory, my strategy that I apply to my life is, you know, you have to go and spend time, real time, and dig deep, um, and and really like even get involved in the community around things that you truly care about. And when you say yes to everything, you're saying no to something that really is important to you because you're you're taking up all the space that otherwise you would be able to invest in in one or two or however many things that you can handle and that you know it really call for you. And so I generally would say, you know, (laughs) I wish, I just wish if I could wish any, you know, if I could wish anything around this, I would just be that, you know, people would actually get the chance to experience these things fully for themselves before they form an opinion of them. I would like them to be open to experiencing it. Because it wouldn't be meaningful. (laughs) <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, are these people reacting the way they are? Whether it's you know, the example of the protester in front of the museum who hasn't seen the art. Mm-hmm. Also wants to <laughs> it's as though they're from this like scarcity mindset yeah. that it can, it is limited and there are limitations and we cannot exceed these limitations. Or if it's, you know, whether we're talking about anti-racist policies and the person who's receiving that information thinks it means you're calling them a racist or if it's about colonizing and then you're that person assumes that you're now criticizing their entire lineage mm-hmm. apparently mm-hmm. it's as though these from what i'm thinking it's kind of like they have created the story that they want in their world mm-hmm. but it is limited right like there's a limited number of people who can sit at the table yeah. that is yeah. their story yeah. Yeah. whereas I think the people who are doing the work for anti-racism or the artists in our world or just the people who are open and coming from a place of abundance don't see that table as limited but see it as right. constantly growing yeah. and is it just a mindset is it the need to talk more in society and among our friends about kind of just coming from a place of abundance mm. because are we all a big part of ourselves? yeah 
it, it really feels like that that is a big part of it right because when you talk about scarcity I hear fear like I, yeah. I I think that they're so related it seems like if you you know if you like for example I mean literally scarcity if you think for example you know food is scarce and we have to eat to survive you know you're going to be afraid that you might die I mean that's, mm-hmm. that's literally like a scarcity mindset right and when you were talking I was thinking you know yes people are offended because they think you might be calling them racist or you might be criticizing their lineage but I think they're actually I, I suspect that they're actually more afraid that you're going to take away what they have I, I really think that that's that's where the fear is coming from that if things change and other people have, you know, social capital, they have more power, they have, you know, a, even you talked about a seat at the table. It's like, well, if they have a seat at the table, they're going to put the resources in their communities instead of mine. And the fact that we have separate communities is the problem to begin with. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, you know, that's, and that's, that's where I see the scarcity and the fear like rearing its head because it's it's this fundamental threat right it's this this fear of a threat to your way of life to your security and you know to me I completely can understand that and that's that's another thing is like we have to be we have to challenge ourselves to be understanding and see each other's humanity no matter which side of which thing we're on because if we don't understand the other people who are so resistant or are opposed to what we're trying to do, we can't even understand them. How in the hell are we going to work with them? Oh, you make such a good point. And I totally agree that there's obviously a role that social media is playing in this. But mm. here's a question that popped into my mind, thinking about communities. Is it the way our elected officials and our politicians are talking nowadays Mm. because there's a lot of from both sides criticism or Mm -hmm. commentary but very little I see the potential this is how we're (laughs) going to fix it and it you know it reminds me of the distinct difference that we saw in the Obama campaign where it was about hope and optimism Mm. and how there is this potential for so much growth yeah but we're not seeing that anymore from our elected officials on either side. I, know. It is. I always say they won't even lie to me anymore. It's right. so sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, at least I used to feel something good. I had some hope. Right. Now I'm like, damn, we are just negative as hell. It is. I mean, that's what we do. Like, that is the game now. We just, like, criticize people until we can get them out of office, basically. Yeah. And is it the politicians or is it the media who's, you know, putting it out there on full blast on repeat? I don't know. It's probably both. I think it's both. I think that they play into each other, though, too. It's like if the media wasn't doing that, politicians wouldn't care. And if politicians weren't doing it, the media Mm -hmm. wouldn't be able to report on it. So it's like a vicious cycle. <laughs> and if we weren't consuming that news, the news wouldn't put it yep. out there, frankly. I mean, you know, we all have to take responsibility for this mess that is, I, in my mind, like a reality TV show that we call politics now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, you know, it is not the world I want to live in. But I'm like, how do I work to change it? And, mm. you know, I'm of the mindset that it is just me talking to 
the people I talk to, to yeah. try to hopefully open their minds on things that they might not see a certain way. And I hope that they do the same to me, right? Like open my mind on things that I might not see the same right. way. Right. Like the conservative who was telling me the story about how when they hear those words about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Their colonialism or anti-racism. I'm, yeah, I'm they surprised they opened up to them. you like that. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, impressive. I was totally flattered and humbled that they did. Mm-hmm. And I hope that they heard from me as someone who I like to identify as like pretty much straight in the middle when it comes to politics. Mm-hmm. I think everybody has some good and everybody has some bad. And I want to choose who does the most good in my mind. Mm-hmm but I have no loyalty to one side or the other. And so I think they knew I wasn't coming from a place of like this partisan rhetoric, but more as a human being and saying, I don't think it's a personal attack on you. I don't think it is an attack on all white people. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm as white as it gets and I mm-hmm. still don't see it. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm just so proud and grateful that you use you know your access um and and the trust that you've built in in different communities for good i i and i really think that you know that that is a key i i I mean i know people love you know the big (laughs) the big flashy work of you know social justice i do too um but i think I want to say that there's, it's probably a lot more of those little conversations that make the difference. It's really more of those like drip drop, changing people's minds in a very, very slight way, or really relieving their, alleviating their fears. Yeah. Just a little bit, just, just getting them to come out a little bit and be less scared because I, I find it so interesting because I keep using these, these words of, you know, fear, like scarcity, it comes to the, it's really fear for me. Like people are afraid. And I find that so interesting because it's like, you think about, you know, if you've seen a little, I don't know, scared child, you wouldn't be like, I hate you for being so scared. You know what I mean? <laughs> you would be like, yeah. oh no, let me try to like help comfort you to at least get, yeah. to, get to a place where you trust me so that we can talk about what's going on with you and, and see if we can't help you or, or whatever, you know? And I, I just, I just love the space that we're creating where we can at least consider each other's humanity and um I'm hopeful that that is going to be how we kind of steer the ship um because I don't see another way frankly (laughs) I I really believe that you know all people are are people they are all imperfect um but they are all humans and they all have humanity. And I think we can appeal to that humanity person to person more than we can through mega media, through, you know, national politics, through all of these big amorphous concepts and institutions. Like, I don't, I don't, I just don't think that they have the answer. I don't think that they're coming to save us. I think that we actually have to save ourselves but we have to do it in community and we have to do it honest I mean I don't know what else to think except for that it's it's just like one person to one person type of thing it's just person to person it's just heart to heart it's just in your own community it's just you know getting the folks that are already on your side empowered enough to feel like they can talk to other people who are on the fence or who 
are feeling fears or, or, or hesitations or concerns. Like, I think that's the only way. And we have to be really mindful that shame doesn't serve anyone. I just, I don't (laughs) believe that. I just do not believe it. Like we have been using shame as this weapon and it's hard for me to talk about this because, you know, when people are doing it, I'm like, yeah, that person should be ashamed. <laughs> that person, shame on that person. Like, in my mind, I'm just like, of course, these people are doing terrible things. Like, we should hold them accountable, really, is, is real, right. really where I'm coming from that. Where I'm like, of course, I agree. Like, these people should be held accountable 100%. And then there's another part of me where I'm like, and what happened where did we go wrong? Like, how did we fail this person as a society? And how can we like bring back humanity in this situation and, and hopefully find, help them find a way to, to a different path, you know, because if we don't do that, I mean, we're just getting into throwaway society culture where we, you know, mm-hmm. as a society, I, I have a problem with the fact that that's essentially what we're doing. That's why we have so many people in our prison systems. I mean, we just throw people away and we say, we don't, we don't like you. We don't want to see you. We don't want to deal with you. We don't know how to deal with you, I think is another, another issue there, right? We don't, we don't really know solutions. So, so I'm inspired by the fact that you have been able to um, really like have a real conversation with somebody that is experiencing that because I, I didn't get the opportunity and it's not easy. And, and I always say you have to be able to talk to somebody in a way that they can actually hear you and sometimes it's harder to figure out than others it is and you know I wonder if it's also I strongly believe that everybody is inherently good and I have been called naive and idealistic a lot but I don't want to change I don't want to change because I want to see a world where humans are considered good and have the power to do good and we are viewed for our potential and we're not viewed for our worst mistake or any of our mistakes because I don't think our mistakes define us it is how do we improve and move forward that defines moments yes absolutely those are our hills to overcome and I'm with you and you know it's just like this entire podcast and our entire theory of change for me if you can't visualize something better you're not gonna get it (laughs) and so (laughs) we are not optimistic because we're naive we are not you know hopeful because it's the easy thing to do we are hopeful because it's the hard thing to do and it's the strategy that we're employing in order to get to that place we want to see I know that the other way doesn't work that's what I know if I know anything I know that you know criticizing everything speaking to our topic (laughs) (laughs) And assuming everything is terrible and that it will only get worse tends to lead to that very self-fulfilling prophecy coming true. Like that's what I have seen in my life, whether it be on an individual level, um, a family complex or not family complex, but family dynamic of, you know, workplace situation, a societal situation. So to me, it has, it means that it has to apply across the board And so for me, it's a very intentional choice. I've actually, I've I've changed in my life. I was not always optimistic. I I definitely was when I was young because we're just, I think, born perfect. Um, But but then, (laughs) you know, 
the the weight of the world and and the 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 tragedy and 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 just you know sadness that exists in the world um that really got to me and I mean I definitely had times I think I would I mean maybe not maybe not phases but definitely times where a cynicism was just easy to creep in it was and I mean it felt like the only option was to be cynical frankly like the more I learned the more I thought what the hell are we even doing you know it just became very very dark in that way but what inspires me is seeing people who actually believe that we can do better and the only people that I have seen create change in societies are ones that had vision for something better. That's it. That's as simple as that. There's nobody that was like, this sucks and it's never going to get better. That changed the world. Like, let's <laughs> <laughs> hope not. Hope they not. didn't do it, right? Well, maybe, I mean, maybe that's where we see the like <laughs> terrible parts of history. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm, t- I'm talking about positive change, the change that I want to see. Um, it's only been, you know, from my calculations, from people who said, no, we can have this. I, you know, believe that we can have this other kind of society. I believe that we can treat each other this way. I believe that, you know, we can see everyone thrive or whatever that like dream was, whatever that vision was, they had to have that vision first and they had to believe in it, like truly believe in it, believe in it so hard that they like dedicated their lives to it, you know, that they were willing to sacrifice their lives sometimes in in certain cases. And so, for me, that's where I take my inspiration and I make a very intentional choice to choose hope. And I have, I don't, looking back, I don't know how I retained my optimism and hope for humanity. I don't even know if it's hope. My strong belief that humanity is good mm-hmm. after working in politics for now almost two decades. <laughs> like I don't know that those two things go together equally when you as you said point out it's so much easier to succumb to not being optimistic and choosing I don't want to say reality because I think you can see good things in everything if you just have that mindset that there is a piece of good in there but it's easier to opt for the criticism or the cynicism because that's what's around you and you know we often reflect what's around us but then I realized you know it is and I'm kind of punk at my heart it is the greatest form of rebellion to be like optimistic and kind Mm. nowadays Mm. and so maybe that's maybe that's my motivator I don't know for sure (laughs) (laughs) and then so to that point I watched the video girls might have fun girls Girls Want to Have Fun by Cindy mm-hmm. Lauper, which mm-hmm. I hadn't seen since, you know, I was probably like, <laughs> I don't know, high school, mm-hmm. junior high. I don't know. I certainly didn't see it when it came out. But now I'm looking at it from this new mindset of how all those things that has like impacted my world. And, you know, as you pointed out, how as you enter adulthood and you go through adulthood, you're like, well, it's a lot more messed up than I thought it was when I was a kid. <laughs> but I go to be optimistic about it. But I looked at this, I was watching this video and I was watching all the people that Cindy Lauper had around her dancing. I was like, 
this might be one of the most diverse videos I've Ooh. ever seen. And, uh, and maybe it's because now the only thing I've seen are like Taylor Swift videos that <laughs> come across like some screen in a store or Harry mm-hmm. Styles and it's all very like polished and shiny mm. and like, wow, these videos are really white. And you know, mm-hmm. I will say this to my husband who is not white and he's like, you know, you are way more observant about this stuff than I am. <laughs> like, I know, and it's weird because I know that my mom did not see somebody who was not ethnically Swedish until she was in her 20s. Like, wow. did not see a person, like, in person who was not ethnically Swedish. Wow. And she is one of the least racist people I know. She doesn't always say things the right way because there's language barriers, but... Mm. Could you imagine going through mm-hmm. 20 plus years of your life and you had only seen and interacted with people who were ethnically the wow. same, identical to you? Yeah, I cannot imagine that. I have no idea what that would be like. <laughs> right? I've never even had a majority of the people in my life look like me. <laughs> and so, I mean, I have hope for people because of her, because it probably mm. would have been easier. If she was in America and that it happened, I don't think she would view people who don't look like her in the hopeful and optimistic way that she does. Mm. Right? Like, I, she was never taught in Sweden that that was, hmm. that we should exclude people. Right. She remembers, her memories as a child were how Swedes exalted people who were not Swedish. Mm. And how, like, they talked about indigenous communities back in the 50s in Sweden mm-hmm. to people when I don't think we've adopted the indigenous word until the last, like, five years. Have we? <laughs> I don't even know if we have. Maybe it's just people like you and me who, like, were indigenous. I mean, they were teaching them in, uh, well, I don't mean, like, with just even language. I just mean, like, you were talking about them teaching about Um, you know that history I'm like have we even begun to do that in this country I I I haven't gotten the memo still I mean (laughs) you know I might be a little jaded in the fact that my closest friends on this planet are indigenous people so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah maybe I am I am grateful that I have this community of really strong friends who are now very active in their tribes they weren't when they were you know kids and teenagers and in their 20s but now one of them you know is a leader in their tribe and you know is helping rebuild the tribe that was obviously dismantled and had been absorbed into the Cherokee and now it's trying to find its footing but now has to go back to Pennsylvania to retrieve their tribal artifacts that are like stored in Pennsylvania but, wow. you know, they're doing their best to keep their language alive and Amazing. working hard. And, yeah. Well, speaking of which, I have some exciting news. I learned um, yes. from my dad's uh, recent visit with his biological father, who lives in Colorado, and who he really just found out is his biological father. Um, he decided to go visit. And, um, you know, they talked about history. My dad loves, you know, the ancestry thing, like just learning as much as we can and asked him about our roots. And apparently on that side of our family, um, his mother or grandmother, I want to say, 
was full Apache, which we had no idea that we had any lineage in that uh, in that tribe. And so just knowing that I have a tie to a specific tribe that I can name is is really it's really amazing. It's it's just interesting yeah. to get to. I mean, it's such a big deal, and I think that I'm so happy for your friend, and I'm so you know, just aware and, and, and sad for people who have been orphaned from their, from their lineage and from their history, um, especially, you know, black and brown people in this country who that erasure oh, yeah. was very intentional, right? It, it, it's not like this, we just lost track. <laughs> it's not that, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know, there was an intentional erasure and I mean, literally destruction of, of documents and, and histories and, mm-hmm. and, and even languages and abilities to, to share and storytell and, and, and to pass on generational knowledge. And so, um, so I, I like to share those bits of like, you know, just, just, just cultural joy because it, yeah. it makes a difference and I want people to like seek that for themselves if that could bring them happiness and so um it's something that um I I just wish for all of us honestly I I'm I'm so I'm actually really like I'm jealous of you Tessa that you you get to know exactly where you're from <laughs> you get to know <laughs> you know where you're people are from and and their culture and their history and it's it's a beautiful beautiful thing and I just I wish that for everyone because it it really you know it it doesn't necessarily define exactly who you are what you can do and I mean I know that that's true because I am me without having that (laughs) so I know that's true um but yet it's something special. It's something that, that, that enriches your life and enriches your identity. So I wish that I, for everyone. I do too. Cause I think the more you know yourself and if for you, that means understanding your roots, the more likely you're not to have the type of reactionary responses to mm. what we've been talking about. Right. Like mm, I think yes. when you are more grounded in who you are, I don't think you have yes. the, negative reactions that that person is out to get you or out to tear you down yeah and I mean it just fascinates me too because it's like we all have histories of lineage and heritage and culture all of us including white people I feel like I have to say that because (laughs) people assume I guess sometimes that white people don't have culture which is is so unfair I, I I actually think that you know, the, the politics of whiteness have, have, have robbed a lot of white people in the same way that they robbed indigenous people and black people and that not in the same way, but in a similar way, right. Where, where, you know, maybe, you know, your people, which is different. Maybe, you know, your lineage, you know, that your, you know, great grandparents came here um, and, and went through Ellis Island, for example, or what have you, you might know the country they came from, but Mm -hmm you've also maybe, you know, experienced what we have experienced as people of color where you are pressured and socialized in ways to assimilate to whiteness because whiteness is this other concept in America that says that, you know, you have to give up all of that. You have to leave that behind. And I know that different cultures have different, you know, privileges in that regard. Some people get to continue some of their traditions and still claim whiteness. Um, but for a lot of people, including some white people, I think that that's not true. I think <laughs> I think that you had to give up a lot. You had to, you know, you had to pass for just, you know, this certain kind of white person. And so I feel for everyone that has 
you know, just been orphaned or been really pushed away from culture because it's so beautiful. I mean, culture is just one of the, I think one of the greatest joys in life. And so, um, and so I love that, you know, we're starting to see people reclaim it. And um, I hope that that continues and that it gets stronger and stronger. I do too, because I think it's a challenge in the United States because we are the melting pot to retain your culture. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to fight for it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you have to fight to retain your traditions and your, I'm going to go say languages, and that could just be your regional dialect, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to exclude anybody here. Mm-hmm. But I think when you do, the what you reap from it is this like great sense of identity that I really think helps build a better country. Because yeah. as we all know, diversity makes decision-making better. It makes corporations more profitable. It is just all around good for communities. Absolutely. And, and, and when we go to, again, like criticize people, I don't know. I feel like culture actually has a lot to do with that. Truly. It, it truly, truly does. Because, um, you know, we're talking about culture in terms of like ethnic culture um, and heritage. But but I mean, it just literally like the way that people talk to one another is different in every culture. Right. Like the way that yep. you receive information from each other is different. The way that you approach each other is different. The way that you respect or show respect to different people with different roles in your culture, in your community is Mm -hmm. different. And regardless of whether or not we still like, you know, we might not live in our tribes or (laughs) in the way that our ancestors used to live or whatever that looked like. We might not live in those ways, but I don't think that means that our, um, like our traditions, our cultures um, have not actually shown through. Um, you know, like there, there are just things I think, for example, in, you know, I don't know, Mexican culture, you know, you have a certain respect for, for elders or whatever, like whatever Mm -hmm. that looks like in Mexican culture now that came from somewhere, (laughs) you know, and it probably came from, maybe it's a mix of, of, you know, all of the mixed, um, uh, race and cultural influences that we have in us but I mean some of that goes back to our indigenous roots right and for those Absolutely. who have those lineages and so it's not even it's just interesting to me it's just fascinating to think about that in today's context because you have in you something that was passed on for generations and you think about the world in a specific way and partly at least partly due to that you can obviously be influenced by so many other things of your, your personal lived experience, but we have to recognize that, that all of that comes from, from, from somewhere. Like there's some influence coming from a long lineage of, of our ancestors. And so with that, it's really fascinating for me to think about how we all like relate to one another today and criticizing one another is, um, a really <laughs> a really difficult thing to tackle um in a way that would be you know productive with different people because everyone is different everyone's coming from a different mindset everyone's coming from a different perspective and everyone's coming from a different tradition and so even the thought of like criticizing somebody without knowing that person or knowing how they you know best receive criticism or how 
you could really serve them. I think that's the thing is like, if you're criticizing somebody, are you doing it to serve you or to serve them? Exactly. And I was, as you were talking, I was thinking, we need to figure out a way to turn our criticism into appreciation, right? Because we should be appreciating that person for their culture and their upbringing and the impact that society has had upon them. Mm -hmm. Just who we are. Yes. And maybe it doesn't fit into the same world that we created. It doesn't mean it's wrong and it doesn't mean it's bad. And find their potential and embrace it and help them become their best selves. Because I keep thinking about this uh, like employment HR kind of thing that I read once, which was women who apply for jobs are viewed for their resume and what they have achieved. Men Mm. who apply for jobs are seen for their potential, Mm. which is, you know, obviously problematic because (laughs) men end up in the positions of power because they are seen as potential leaders and you don't become a leader automatically. So you can't have it on your resume. Mm. And so women are, automatically discounted or have been and it's not necessarily intentional and it's not necessarily conscious but it's not necessarily malicious but that's kind of what's been happening we're seeing some changes in that and we're seeing some growth in that but imagine if we just treated everybody for what their potential is as opposed Mm. to what we yes. see as their yes. problematic side. And when you're, and so instead, like, again, for me, like the definition of criticism is you're telling somebody there's something fundamentally wrong with you. <laughs> and right. instead of, which is so weird. Right. Like, first of all, who are you? And anyways, yeah. um, <laughs> and also, you know, if you are willing to open your mouth and tell somebody something that's bad about them, um, I think we just have to know that that's not going to be productive, period. Like, I just, I don't <laughs> see how that's helpful. You know what I mean? Like, it's not going to be helpful to you. This person's not going to change in the way that you want them to. They're probably just going to hate you um, and, and hate themselves. Right. Like, your, your quote earlier about parents, I'm like, yeah, they hate themselves. But when they're teenagers, they also hate you. So I think <laughs> when you're older, you really just, you know, you're just going to resent that person. And so they're going to resent you and they're going to hurt. And, and really, you're hurting their self-esteem. And when somebody's self-esteem is hurt, they're not going to be their best versions of themselves, period, right? Like we, we self-esteem is so key. And so in my mind, um, you know, before we criticize, I think the best thing to do is for us to pause. And even, even if we see somebody doing something that we know is, is in our hearts and minds, this is not great. You know, <laughs> we, yeah. we don't want them to go on this path or what have you. I mean, and you can think about the worst case scenario. Like I've worked with folks who, you know, are, 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 in terrible places in their lives and the truth is is that I've seen people criticize them and I've seen what happened and so people being in really terrible places in their lives where you know they're they're needing help they really do genuinely need help people that criticize them and think that that's helpful they actually end up being people that are resented by this person And that basically Mm -hmm. just turned this person off in a way where they don't hear you anymore. Everything that you say is poison. Like they don't, they're, you know, it's just, they, they, it's already tainted, you know, by your negativity. 
And so that's not even productive, right? So <laughs> in the, <laughs> I'm a very practical person. So in my estimation of the whole thing, when I've seen people that are struggling with things, especially things that are highly stigma, stigmatized, like addiction, mm-hmm. for example, um, mm-hmm. I, I know that the only way to even begin to quote unquote help this person or be close enough to this person to influence them in any positive way is to not judge them first and foremost so when you say criticism I hear judgment right I hear literal judgment and so if Mm -hmm. you're you I mean for me it's like criticism is not even really um it's not an option in that way when we're talking about individuals who who really need influence and, and positive influence and, and, and help. Um, you literally have to come to them with no judgment, accept them for who they are, even with the things that they're doing right now that you might not agree with or whatever. The truth is, is that if they're ready to, to receive your guidance, influence, positivity, whatever we want to call it, that's not criticism, but is literally coming from a place of wanting this person to have better, to feel better, right? To do better for themselves, not for you. Then you have to come with no judgment and you have to be able basically to speak their language, right? You have to meet them where they are. You have to say, okay, what are you going through? And what do you want? What do you want to change? Where do you want to go next? I'm not sure I understand. (laughs) Siri does not understand what I'm saying, but I hope you do. (laughs) Because it's, yeah. I totally understand. I have a habit of, at the end of the day, sometimes watching true crime stories. Mm -hmm. And so a few weeks ago, my husband and I were watching a true crime about this, like, really horrible murderer, which not a good thing to do. Don't recommend going around murdering people. But when they were when they told the story, I realized I turned to my husband. I said, "Society failed this kid, yeah. and nobody loved this kid. And there were so mm-hmm. many people who interacted with him as he when he was a kid. If someone would have just shown him grace and saw his potential and given him the kindness and the love that every person needs and deserves, and deserves, we don't need. We probably wouldn't have ended up in this situation. No, exactly. I one hundred percent agree." After my husband stopped laughing at me because he's like, only you would watch something about some horrible murder and say society failed this person and the kid just needed love. Yeah. Because only you would see that this person could have been a really good person or is a good person. I'm like, well, I don't take that as a criticism. I'm wearing that as a badge of honor. Because it's <laughs> me true. Too. I, right? Like, and I think the same is true for addicts too, right? I think addicts start out, you know, dipping their foot and whatever they become addicted to. Because they want to have some relief from the pain in their lives. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. And, and, and there's so much that we just don't, as a society, we just don't get it. And I, it just frustrates yep. the hell out of me, honestly, because it's like, I know that there are brilliant people who have already figured this out, like, decades ago, if not more than that, you know? And I just, it just, it just blows my mind. And I, I truly believe, like, we are just, we can't be bothered. <laughs> we can't, we like literally can't be bothered to do the hard work of like loving and caring for people and 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 taking on this radical empathy and if we all did that you know I, I really I know society would be so much better it really would because people don't I mean what child do you know that's just like you know 
I hate the world. I mean, they just don't start <laughs> right? off that way. They just don't. <laughs> and so we're doing it. You know, it's our it's it's our fault to a certain extent. And um, and I know it's hard. Um, it's to kind of take that inventory of 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 our own actions and our own responsibilities. But that's really what we need to do. And that's, I mean, that's really what would change everything if, if people would take responsibility for their actions in that way. And, and, and frankly, be more gentle with ourselves because, mm-hmm. you know, as I'm thinking about this person who's afraid to be called racist, and I'm even thinking about, you know, people who are parents that, you know, you know, I feel, I literally, I feel for people. I think I watched, I think it was Dahmer. And I just felt, I, I kind of felt bad for his, I think it was his dad who was like, oh my God, did I do this? Like, did I make this person? And I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh Lord, like, it's so, it's so terrible. Could you imagine that feeling? You know, it would be so terrible. And so the truth is we have to take responsibility, but also be gentle with ourselves. Like we have to be able to say, okay, maybe I could have done something better. And I'm curious to find out what that is. And I want to do better. And that is our saving grace. Like that is the opportunity for us to, to say, you know, we're okay. Like, even though we did, we were not perfect um, in the past, you know, we, we are trying to do better now. And if, if everyone had that attitude, especially um, where we could see past and basically forgive ourselves um, and, and then move on, we would, I think we would be in a much better spot. I completely agree. And so maybe that first conversation is with ourselves uh, in addition yes. to like talking to the people around us, right? It's like, I can safely say that I have not lived my life in a judgment free world or mm-hmm. I have not been judgment free of other people. Uh, it mm-hmm. happens. Yeah. I think the question is how do you verbalize that? Right. Like mm-hmm. maybe sometimes we need to have those conversations with ourselves as mm-hmm. opposed to allowing it to come out of our mouths. Yes. Yes. And asking ourselves, like, is this about me or about the other person, you know, and, and doing your own work around yourself. I always say like in relationships, for example, I always say the strongest thing you can bring to relationship is a whole person. Because Mm -hmm. if you bring a broken person, another broken person, it's just not going to be great. Um, And and so you got to do your own work, you know, and when you get to that place where you feel completely secure with yourself and you know the truth is is that there's no there's no finish line it's 100% always going to be growth like like life is growth we're always growing you know and so I don't think you have to be perfect before you give people advice I would just say be really conscious about who they are where they are in their lives be curious ask them about you know what they're seeking when they're interacting with you, right? Like, what are you seeking from this conversation? Are you seeking advice from me? Do you want to know what I would do? Do you want to know what I've seen in other people's experiences? Like, what are you seeking from me, right? Like, be conscious about it. And then also be vulnerable. I, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I think Brene Brown got it right. <laughs> we need yeah. to embrace the vulnerability. Like, that person telling you about how they really feel. Um, yeah that's vulnerability. I mean, you could have been mm-hmm. like, uh, I mean, you could have said a lot of critical things to that person and, and cut, ch- you know, just chop them down instead of trying to yeah. build them up, but you did the right thing. And we need to be able to trust each other 
that we're going to treat each other with care. And I know that's a ridiculous, almost ridiculous thing for me to say right now with the way that people treat each other. But uh, like we always say, you know, surround yourself with people that you trust and that who, who really yeah. care for you and want you to succeed. And when you do, and you can have that trust, you can say, okay, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm seeking. This is what I'm longing for. Um, I'm not ready to hear this. I'm not ready to hear that. Like, I think we all need to like advocate for ourselves in conversation. Honestly, I, I, I feel like we're oftentimes talking around each other, if that makes sense. Like it feels very it distant in a way where it's like, I'm projecting my shit onto you. <laughs> You're projecting your <laughs> shit onto me. And it's like, we're working something out, but it's definitely not you know, an interaction between us, it's really almost like a fight between ourselves. It's really a strange phenomenon. But, um, but I, 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 I think that there are a lot of tools that we can employ here. And one of them is when you feel the urge to criticize somebody and what they're doing, first of all, like practice radical empathy and, 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 and challenge yourself to find the humanity in this person. And if it's somebody that you're having uh, a direct conversation with, you know, being curious, finding out more about what they're seeking, about what they're really going through, about what their past is and their lived experience and, and, and how they've come to have the perspective that they have. And then, you know, offering what you can from your life, the lived experience, if that's what they're seeking and, and only offering what they're seeking. Because at the end of the day, if someone's asking you for help and you're giving them what makes you feel good, that's that's not <laughs> ideal. <laughs> I, I challenge everybody to see the good in themselves, but also see the good in other people, right? Like mm -hmm. even if you just start with adding one person and one interaction in a day where you see the good in that person, like mm, say it's the person who cut, yeah. cut you off at a parking lot to steal a parking <laughs> space, like see the good. Think maybe that person is a sick child. You're home. bringing some real or, challenges. Or, <laughs> I know. Or, you know, a sick parent that they're dealing with who's had a really mm. bad day. Just, you know, if that person needs that parking space at that, just let it be. And assume it's for a reason that's a good reason. I'm going to have to challenge anybody... myself with the people I see on their cell phones. In... <laughs> yes. I'm going to have to make up a good story about this. What could that be? <laughs> I do. And I, I make up the good stories where like, oh, this person just got a job promotion or they just got yeah. a new job or the load Something on their really house came serious through. Is or, happening. Yeah. No, like, I, I think I will have to think of a sad story in order for me to feel the empathy that I need to invoke. <laughs> this. <laughs> this is a challenge for me. To... <laughs> but I believe that we can do it, right? Like, okay. I'm all focused on this whole, like, we can change the world with our optimism and our empathy and our willingness to surround ourselves with diverse good people and yeah. then the people that we're surrounded with will surround themselves with diverse good people mm. and it'll just keep growing like maybe it's not so much world domination as we're like starting this gang and we're just aggressively <laughs> supporting everybody and yes. maybe that is like this radical choice to rebel and be aggressive in supporting people and lifting them up as opposed to being aggressive in tearing people down, which I feel is what's happening in society. I love our nerdy gang. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! I'm, I'm totally game. I hope everybody who is listening is to totally game too. And I challenge you all to like just see the good in something that maybe frustrates you that today. 
Yeah, our initiation is that you have to. (laughs) Yes. You have to take Tessa's challenge and (laughs) write a good story about somebody who you would otherwise demonize. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Like, if we all see the world a little better, do we see some fundamental change in society? I like to think that we will. I love it. I love it. The uplifting. I can't. (laughs) I love it. Like, can we have like gang colors and like jackets or something? <laughs> like kind of like the 1950s Greece look going on. <laughs> the pink is the original. <laughs> Badasses. <laughs> yes. I love it. We we have to have like yellows and oranges and <laughs> yes. <pink> colors. <laughs> all the like rainbow and sunsets and sunrises, all those good things. I love it. I love it. But it is a real challenge. And so it is. I'm going to take it on with me. I love when we ha- we end with our little challenges because it really, it really, it really makes it real for me where I'm like, okay, I need to do something. I need to put something in practice in my real life. And so I hope you all will also take the challenge and, um, and let us know how your challenge goes. Yeah. And be kind to yourself. It might not be perfect the first time around or the second time around or the hundredth time, but you know, keep on trying because I believe in you and I believe that it can happen. Me too. And I believe in you, Tessa. You're the best. (laughs) (laughs) And I love you and I thank you for this wonderful uh, uplifting conversation. And I thank everyone for joining us and being part of our Uplift Gang. (laughs) Thank you all. We'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. Stay well.